Welcome to Generational Wealth MD's podcast on financial freedom through investing in real estate. My name is Param Baladandapani. I'm a mom, radiologist, real estate investor, and mentor to others looking to start or scale their real estate portfolios. Thank you for being here today. The goal of this podcast is to provide you with inspiration, strategies, and insight so that you can stop trading your time for money and live life on your terms. If you love the episode, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Thank you, everyone, for making the time and for joining us. Um, we have today with us Jeff Chisholm. Uh, Jeff is with North Point Mortgage now, and they, um, they're lenders. They work in all 50 states, which is why we love them in our community, because they can work with you no matter where you're looking to, um, to, you know, to get your um, short-term rentals or long-term rentals, um, essentially. And um, I like um, Jeff more because he's an educator. He's been in this space, and you know, he's uh, been in multiple groups. I've heard him speak in, at summits, and um, you know, he's an educator at heart. So a lot of what he does is not just telling you what the but also explaining why it is what it is. And I find that super beneficial. Before we get started, guys, for everyone, you know, within our community, we talk about strategy all the time. And um, your strategy is, is personal, right, to you. It, uh, everyone is going to have a different strategy. And it is dependent on your goals, which uh, depends on what your passive income goals are and how much time you want to put into your portfolio over time. But um, it's also de- dependent on your resources, which is going to be the time that you have to put into it, but more importantly, how much money you have. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. How do we responsibly leverage and how do you use leverage to really accelerate um, and give you that momentum so you can scale rapidly and get your goals faster. We're going to talk about a bunch of things. We're going to talk about conventional mortgages, owner-occupied financing. I know Jeff talks a lot about short-term rentals, and a lot of you are trying to get short-term rentals, so we're going to talk a lot about that. But the goal is to see how we can get lower down payments if possible, better rates, creative financing, and what do you do when you try to um, purchase a property within an LLC. So we'll go over all of that. Jeff, thank you for being with us today. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, I'm excited. That's a great introduction. I, it's just the thing everyone's talking about right now is the interest rate hikes. And I was thinking maybe we could just start with that, what the, what the predictions are, what to expect and how it really affects people in terms of cash flow. because everyone on here, most of us are thinking about it as an investor. And I also know that especially even with North Point, some of our members have reached out, we're now beginning to see uh, how arms may be beneficial. So if you could talk about all of that. Yeah, sure. So I think in the United States, we get pretty spoiled and, you know, have short-term memories at at times. And so, you know, these rates are pretty normal in in kind of the broad scope of things. So what we've had for the past few years has been historically low. And sure, yeah, we absolutely love historically low, uh, but that's not necessarily, you know, over the history of mortgages, what the United States has operated in. So yeah, it's it's a little bit tough pill to swallow because people are so rate conscious. So, you know, on a $500,000 deal, what we've seen, just as an example, what we've seen with the uh, increase in interest rates, it's going to affect your cash flow about $150 to $200 a month. You know, that that's why I like short-term rental because, you know, cash flow is pretty significant. And when, you know, I'm, I'm not going to throw $200 away but it's not going to stop me from going out there and buying a cash flow, you know, appreciable asset that has some tax benefits, um, some ta- tax write-off benefits. So we haven't seen adjustable rates be relevant in a long, long time. Um, I can't remember the last time I talked about them because there really was no margin between adjustable rates and fixed rates. And so now they are coming into the discussion and it's something to be considered. So, you know, in the past, if, if you thought adjustable rates were a big, bad monster, it probably came from 2008 when there were some crazy products out there. Uh, people were underwater in properties uh, and they couldn't get out of the adjustable rate. And so, you know, it was kind of a, a ticking time bomb on a, a perfect storm back in 2008 where, People with adjustable rates did get bit a bit because they just didn't have other options. Right now, what we're seeing is the margin between a fixed rate and a, a adjustable rate is about one to one and a half percent. So, you know, you're talking a five, six, seven hundred thousand dollar deal. That's 
pretty significant uh, amount of money. Um, we really don't like to talk about the three, five-year arm. Typically, uh, doesn't really fit with our client strategy anyway. You know, there are some people in it for the short game, but most are in it for the long haul. So, you know, we really are looking at the seven, the 10-year arm. Um, and, you know, you, you can have a lot of movement. You can have a lot of things that happen in seven to 10 years. So you, you start adding up that money over that period of time. It becomes very significant and, yeah, definitely something to heavily consider. I think I covered everything you just mentioned. You did. I have a tendency to throw out multiple questions at the same time, but you did. You did good. <laughs> that's, <laughs> Jeff, just no, make sure I get it all. That's that's fine. Yeah, yeah, and you're absolutely right. You know, interest rates have been historically low. When I started investing in 2014, 4.75 was considered a good rate. You know, and now 4.75 is like okay. Well, rates have gone up, and I think was it 10, 20 years ago, where 18 percent wasn't unheard of in terms of interest rates. So you were right. We're we're completely spoiled uh, with these really low rates. But I like how you put in perspective uh, for a property you're looking at, especially if it's a short-term rental, right? You're looking at a difference of 150 to 200 to $500 possibly, I mean, to $200 in mortgage in your uh, cash flow, right? Decre decreasing. And especially if it's a short-term rental or if you're even trying to um, do a bar project where you may have a higher cash flow from that property, that is something you can absorb and still have a deal that makes a lot of sense. Um, and you you importantly pointed out that when you're looking at those arm products, you're better off going for those longer arms as opposed to like a three or five year arm. Uh, what about the prepayment penalties with those? Uh, with, I mean, is there is it different in any way or is it very similar to your other conventional mortgages? Yeah, the only thing, the only product that we have that has a prepayment penalty is the DSCR loan. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's within a three, three year period of time. So um, yeah, everything else is is not going to have a prepayment penalty. Okay, and that's that's usually pretty standard. Um, Jeff, can you talk? I I, I believe I think I've heard you say that with, at North Point you don't do commercial loan products, right? There, um, you don't do any commercial loans, correct? Yeah, commercial in the sense that it's something out of the scope of a four-unit property, residential. So, yeah, we can do anything up to to four-unit residential. A lot of times, I uh, we'll, we'll get the question, you know, do you do uh, commercial loans? And really uh, what the client is looking for is a DSCR loan. So that's a loan where, you know, we can do it in the name of an LLC. We're not looking at personal income. You can hold title in the, uh, the name of an LLC. So very similar to a com commercial loan, but it is something that, that I can do as a residential mortgage. And you can only do those for four units and under um, uh, properties, essentially. Yeah, four units and under that product, we can do con uh, non-warrantable condos, condo tells. Uh, so that, that's a popular product. Um, our opportunity with the DSCR and people that are looking for buying condos, you know, without having to qualify with the full document, full debt to income ratio calculation type loan. Yeah, I want to get into that because, um, but before that, um, Jeff, um, can you explain, because a lot of our members, um, some of them have purchased properties within an LLC or they're doing a 1031 and they're like three or four unit properties, but sometimes they end up getting commercial loan products. Can you talk about how conventional mortgages, especially for those four units and under properties um, are beneficial as opposed to a commercial loan product? Well, I, I don't have a lot of experience with commercial loans, so I can't speak um, in detail about that. Uh, typically on a commercial loan, they want to get their money back uh, quicker. So you'll have something built in like, a, you know, you don't have anything else but an option to do a, a shorter term arm or, you know, it has a five year, seven year balloon payment. So it typically has some type of feature built in where the bank wants to get their money sooner than, you know, what the loan is actually amortized over a 30 year period, you know, or typically 20 years, but uh, yeah, 20 year amortization, but you've got a seven year balloon. So uh, they, they want their money back quicker. These DSCR loans, you can get a 30 year fixed rate. Uh, you can even get a 40-year uh, interest-only loan uh, with the DSCR. So, 
talking about yeah. cash on cash returns, you know, maximizing your cash flow, that 40 year interest only, you know, may be an option that people would be interested in. Wow, that's um, actually that's the first time I'm hearing about the 40 year interest only for the DSCR loans, Jeff. That's amazing. Now, are the interest rates significantly different for those products compared to your conventional mortgage, say, or your second home loans? Yeah, they're going to run um, typically one to one and a half percent higher than like the Fannie 10% down second home occupancy loans. So, yeah, understandably, you're not having to prove income or um, what they're looking for there is someone who you have to have a personal guarantor, even though it doesn't go on your credit. Uh, but they're looking for the the equal or majority owner in that LLC has excellent credit, good mortgage payment history. Yeah, that's um, that's interesting because I know that um, in the short-term rental space, especially um, some in especially in some of the beach markets, those beachfront properties essentially are non-warrantable. So you have to get a DSCR loan product, um, and you you can't really get a second home mortgage uh, on those uh, on those homes, correct? Uh, yeah, that, that's correct. Now, we do have some portfolio products we can use uh, in that space. Uh, the interest rates are going to be a little bit better. The nice thing with North Point is, is we have one loan application for all products. So um, where it may be a little bit of a wasted time for someone that is going to do a DSCR loan, you know, they absolutely know they show no income on their tax returns or little they're not going to qualify. Yeah, that, that's a little more work. But what we found is, is that, you know, through filling out that entire application and us having to, to uh, having us do a review, we do find people that uh, they've got several options to choose from. So, you know, it, it could be that a bank statement loan is a better opportunity that it does have a 10% down feature up to $3 million loan amount. Uh, and then, you know, they may think that they have to go DSCR on non-warrantable or condo till, and we find that, you know, they actually do qualify for one of our portfolio products and, um, you know, a little bit lower down payment, a little better interest rate. So it's nice to have options um, and, and, you know, be able to choose uh, versus being forced into something. So. Yeah, and you know that's the most important thing because in the community we have members who are still residents, so their income isn't significantly high. So sometimes they're not able to qualify for your regular conventional mortgage. We have those properties that are non-warrantable, um, and then sometimes we have people who've just have, have multiple other loans and they've hit their DTR, which is their debt-to-income ratio. Guys, um, is it is a forty-three percent? Once you hit that number, then you don't really qualify for a conventional mortgage anymore, correct? Well, we go. We can go up to fifty percent. So Fannie allows fifty percent. Forty-three is associated with a lot of jumbo investors. Um, some some originators do have overlays where um, they will only go up to forty-two, forty-three, sometimes forty-five percent DTI. But yeah, we can go all the way up to fifty percent with conventional. Um, and actually, some of our portfolio products as well, we can go up to fifty-five percent. Oh, wow. That's that's great. Um, so, Jeff, between the DSCR, the portfolio and the bank statement loans, uh, I, I mean, the great thing is that, you, uh, like you said, you could put in one application and then you would analyze to see which actually makes more sense. But just as an, maybe like a broad overview, uh, when should someone consider, say, a portfolio or a bank statement loan? That is typically going to be for someone who is self-employed, that they write off as much as the law will allow. You know, maybe they have a spouse or someone that's going to be on the loan with them that has W-2 income. So it's not that we're just 100% exclusively using bank statements to extrapolate the qualifying income piece. Mm. Uh, you know, there may be Schedule C, Schedule E, 1099, W-2. We can use all those to, you know, bring into the pool of, of income and extrapolate that qualifying income amount. So uh, yeah, it's a great product because, you know, we're, we're not going to just look at one thing. We're going to look at everything. So. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I'm thinking for a lot of physicians who are um, who have 1099 income but don't have like two years of that income, or maybe even those who have a large income combined but they are doing cost segregation and they tap on ta you know uh, when they file taxes they have like very little income. For all those people, those bank statement loans may be an option for them to consider. Yeah, absolutely, and you know my team only works with investors that are buying. Um, investment properties of course there's spinoffs where we'll help a physician using our our very well-known physician loan uh, mm. purchase a, a primary residence we can also use that on a second home but yeah there's there's a lot of good options that people just don't know about and you know being experts in the space i i didn't just fall into my alignment with north point uh you know before i came on with north point I was already in the space working with the investors. It was just limited because I wasn't in all 50 states. Uh, I had one product, which was a conventional with a piggyback second. Uh, yeah. But beyond that, I told people, sorry, I can't help you, you know, go here, go there. And so, um, you know, when, when my past uh, bank told me that I couldn't originate outside of Texas because regional managers we're getting offended with how many uh, deals we were doing in their backyard. I was a little defeated, but then uh, soon realized it was an opportunity to create a wish list where uh, we were missing opportunities to help clients. And um, at the end of the day, North Point was able to fulfill 99.5% of those. So uh, yeah, our, our team is, is uh, very well versed in uh, moving a lot of moving parts and pieces. So it's not, you know, our clients are not cookie cutter W2 employees. They own multiple pieces of real estate. They have multiple uh, income streams. You know, we know that we can add back in depreciation into the, the uh, income calculation. Uh, we know what we can add back in to uh, be considered with the income. Uh, so yeah, you, you want someone, you know, there, there's a very well-known company out there that has spent millions, if not billions of dollars, it seems like, and this notion that you can just push a button and get a mortgage. And, and that will only go so far for so many people. And in this space, because of the complexity, uh, everything that's involved, you want someone that knows what they're doing uh, and isn't just um those limitations and you created this opportunity to grow and just be um just be able to provide more in terms of what you can to our to investors and being able to work with them across the country is especially in this environment is so important because uh people tend to um get one short-term rental in one market and then move on to the next so it's really nice to be able to have one place where you can uh who can i mean one um lender who can help you across the country well and something that i cannot emphasize enough um, because, and, and your members will be able to relate to this because I don't know how many people are on that right now, but almost everyone has done it where the thought is, okay, when I find the property, that's when I will get pre-approved. And in these markets, if you take that approach, you will be in a situation where you find a great property. All the numbers look great. Um, it's a place that your family's going to enjoy going and staying, and then you'll rent it out on a short-term basis. You're excited. And then three hours later, your realtor tells you, hey, never mind. I don't need that pre-approval letter. It's already under contract. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, uh, I tell clients, if you are of the mind that you want to do something within the next six, six months, now is the time to get pre-approved. Don't worry about uh, you know, the fact that you haven't even chosen an area. Uh, that's the big thing about being able to originate in all 50 states is uh, that's not what's important because we can, we can take that pre-approval letter and go anywhere. What's important is, is once you decide the area and you find the property, you can say, yep, here we go. I've got the pre-approval ready to go. Let's, let's make an offer on this place. Um, so yeah, that's huge. The other thing that I tell clients on consultation calls is it's a little more work to establish key relationships 
with the people that you need on your team. So realtor, property manager, but if you can put in the legwork to have those conversations and stay connected with those people in three different markets, you've now increased your opportunity that a, a uh, property is gonna come up because you've increased the amount of markets that you're looking in. So if you just concentrate on one area, you're limited to, the, to, to that inventory in that area. But if we can kind of look at three different areas and maybe they're in different states even, uh, it's gonna increase the opportunity that a house is gonna pop up that's gonna work for you. So in this model, you know, whether you're in Tennessee or Georgia, North Carolina, Hawaii, that's great. It, once you yes. decide where you want to make that offer, the letter is going to be ready to go. Yeah, absolutely. And even within within the uh, the program, you know, creating generational freedom, members typically pick two or three markets to start exploring so that they can run numbers and see what even makes sense. And having a lender who works across those markets is just super helpful. Um, Jeff, um, now, when I was looking at second home loans, I remember um, you uh, remember you talking about um, what qualifies as a second home, right? And uh, in my head, it was always the 50 mile um, radius and it has to be 50 miles from your primary residence. And, and you said that that doesn't really hold true. And, and um, so can we talk a little bit about that, um, about um, you know what, what can qualify as a second home and then about having maybe more than one in the same market and how that would work? Yeah, so there's no absolutely no distance requirement. So if you have someone that says it's got to be 50 miles, 100 miles, that is incorrect. There's nowhere within Fannie Freddie um, guidelines, rules that say mileage requirements. So the intention has to be that you're going to occupy that property at some point during the year. So that's the other thing is there's no mm -hmm. amount of days. Um, uh, there's no percentage of the year that you have to occupy it. The big key is that you can't lose the ability to occupy that property during that first year. Uh, so you can't lose control over the ability to occupy the property. So that means you can't be in a long-term rental agreement. Uh, you can't be in uh, any type of agreement where that person would go from a guest to a tenant. So most states, that's going to be 30 days or more. And the way I describe the scenario is, is someone overstays their welcome. It goes from calling the sheriff for trespassing charges to having to take them to court to get them evicted. So that's what losing control looks like. Um, so that's why uh, putting the property on Airbnb, Verbo, any of those sites that are similar is not an issue. Because if you go and you read the fine print, uh, it specifically states they're not facilitating a legal lease agreement. They are just connecting guests with owners uh, and arranging that these guests can stay in these owners' property uh, for a specified period of time, but there's no legal lease agreement. Timeshares, you couldn't do that. Uh, the other thing that I hear that, that loan officers, whoever, uh, tell people is you can't have a property manager, and that's not correct. And a lot of this is reading comprehension, but it's also uh, having done a lot of deals and uh, vetting out my understanding of this uh, comprehension, understanding of the policy uh, with Fannie Mae. So underwriters pushing back and saying, no, you can't do that. You know, standing up because I believe in what I understood and them actually calling Fannie Mae to verify my understanding and them having to come back and say, oh yeah, you were right. So property management agreements don't, uh, you don't lose control when you sign a property management agreement, uh, control over the ability to occupy the property. So that's not a problem. I think I covered them. You covered it. And I th and um, my understanding is that um, this uh, restriction in terms of what you can do with the property is only for the first year that you own the property, correct? With Fannie Mae. With Fannie Mae. So, yeah, so that's the other key is as a direct lender for Fannie and Freddie, I can actually go in and when I'm locking a deal, I can choose which one I want to go with. Mm -hmm. So in this space with short-term rentals, uh, I always go with Fannie Mae because they have the most liberal policy 
flexible option is after that year, you're released from those occupancy requirements. So if you decided, and the reason why I like that for my clients is they may decide after a year that they want to, to sign on a long-term lease agreement or uh, target this market of, of traveling medical professionals mm -hmm. that stay at a property for three months. So yeah, after that year, none of that, those situations would be a problem with Fannie Mae. Yeah, that, uh, th that's a great point to make. Um, now, in terms of some of our members are trying to get short-term rentals in metro markets, Jeff. So there are cities where, you know, you could essentially use them as long-term rentals. If they live in that, in that specific market now, do they not need to meet the 50-mile rule now to be able to get a short-term rental in the same market? There, there's got to be a logical explanation. So with physicians, medical professionals, you know, that are buying in a downtown area, maybe near the medical district, hmm. um, and they live out in the suburbs, you know, there are situations where they, they do from time to time need a place to stay. And, you know, they want to buy a place near the medical district where if that comes up, they've got that place. Uh, so that would make sense. Now, anyone else, that would be hard to justify. Uh, that that scenario. Now, in North Texas, DFW, we've got lakes around the Metroplex where we've had scenarios that 20 miles away, someone bought a, uh, wanted to buy a place in this lake community uh, where they like to go and they had a boat dock there. And uh, yeah, that wasn't a problem. That made sense as to why they would want to buy a property with the second home occupancy loan. And they, they could explain that they would be staying there from time to time. Yeah, um, Jeff, I've also heard you say that within the same market, you could get two short-term rentals, as long as the second one is bigger and better, um, two second home loans for two properties, as long as the second property is bigger and better. Now, do they, uh, does the second loan have to be a year after the first one's closed for that to be applicable? It's a better scenario uh, because, you know, you're released from the occupancy requirement. Um, the explanation of, hey, we've been there a year. We've owned this property. We figured out it just doesn't work for us. It's too small. We can't have extended family there. And we found this bigger place. It's got a, you know, better lot, better view. Uh, it's, you know, oceanfront. It's mountaintop, that sort of thing. Uh, but it just makes sense. So yeah, after a year is the, the better scenario, but I absolutely love that you've taken detailed notes and use my exact terminology of bigger and better. So you know, the question keeps that. coming up. The question keeps coming up. And, um, you know, I lean back on the experts, which is why we love having you here um, today, Jeff. I actually have a bunch of questions, um, uh, both on Facebook and um, uh, here on Zoom. So I'm going to let a few people come and ask you a few questions. And then when we, if we have time, we'll get back to mine. Otherwise, um, we'll try to get you um, wrapped up uh, by the uh, end of the hour. Hang, I see your hand raised. Do you want to go ahead and ask Jeff? Um, yeah. Hi, Jeff. Um, I have a question about the occupancy requirement that you were talking about. Um, let me see. My question is, as long as you, you said you don't need a rental agreement. So I do short, I did short term last year, but I'm doing midterm rental now. But I was thinking of going forward, maybe having a rental agreement to kind of protect myself. Would that be a bad idea of like it would meet the Fannie Mae requirement right like it would be a violation or something like that if you use the second home occupancy loan to purchase the property so yeah for, and during that first year that would be an issue uh, mm -hmm. but after that first year yeah absolutely no problem Fannie Mae knocked on the door who are you it's not you why are you here well I signed a six-month lease agreement if it's after that first year they're going to say great yeah, no problem. If it's within that first year, they they could definitely have issue with that arrangement. Got it. Okay. Uh, so so don't do outside rental agreement outside of Airbnb. I was going to do it in addition to Airbnb to protect myself. That's why. If you've got someone staying there more than 30 days and in the eyes of the law in that state, they have tenant rights, that may mm -hmm. be an issue that 
Fannie Mae would have a problem with. And then I have a, another question because I use a second home loan. And I know when I did my taxes this year, it actually asked like how many days you use it for personal use. And I actually did uh -huh. use it and I didn't, I didn't put on there because my CPA said that you shouldn't if you're, you know, you're doing that with some auditing. Um, and so I didn't put it, but of course for 2022, I have to put the days I use because it has to be 14 days, right? Within one year purchasing the property. I closed on December 1st. So I think Jeff, um, Hank's question is like an overlap between the IRS requirements versus mortgage requirements for a second home. Yes, thank, thank you, yeah. Yeah, so there there wouldn't be any issue with the amount of days that you put on your taxes for for personal use as it relates to the the mortgage requirements. So because there there's no there's no set amount of days that you have to use it. Uh, it just says that for half the year it has to be available for your personal use. So that's where you get to the losing control. As long as you don't lose control, because technically uh, you've got someone that's got an Airbnb reservation or you know, a reservation through Airbnb Verbo uh, for next weekend, and then you decided you wanted to use it. Uh, technically, you can go in there and cancel that. Um, now, mm. potentially, could you get kicked off the platform? Sure, but you're not legally bound for that person or you're not legally bound to honor that that uh, reservation. All right, so what did I put the number of days personal use on my tax for 2022, does it matter? It does not, not, not for me. Not from a mortgage perspective. I believe yeah. um, if you're doing a cost segregation in that year for that property, then you still need to use it um, 14 days or less or less than 10% of your of, of rental use in that year. If you want to cost segregate it 100 and do bonus depreciation 100 but from mortgage perspective um jeff says that that doesn't matter and and that's a valid point there jeff because one of our members was asking about 180 day um self-use for a short-term rental i think that's where it comes where you said for half the year you need to maintain control over the asset which if you are using it as a short-term rental you essentially have control yeah that's exactly right yep Perfect. Um, I have yeah, and I'll say on the I'll say on the personal use because not a lot of uh, people catch this is if you're documenting that you're working on the property while you're there, it doesn't count towards your personal use. So you know that's where your accountant can advise you on apps to use to you know track your time, uh, your receipts. Gosh, when I'm at my lake house. You know, as much as I go into the trip saying I'm not doing anything while I'm here, I always end up doing, you know, something. So, yeah, that's a very valid point, Jeff. If it's a business day, then it's not a personal use day. And I think the IRS says if you're spending four hours or more on the property, then it qualifies as a business day. So if, like Jeff said, if you're logging your hours and you're making sure it qualifies as a business day, then that's something where you can audit proof yourself over there. Awesome. Jeff, yeah. can we talk quickly about the due on sale clause? Because this is another big question that comes up. There are still a lot uh -huh. of lenders who say, well, if you purchase the property, well, two things. With a short-term rental, I think I've heard you say the first year you don't want to, if you have a second home loan product on it, you don't want to transfer it into an LLC in year one. Is that correct? Yeah. And it's really one of the ways that Fannie Mae has modernized their policy to re reflect what's going on in this asset class. So you know, a lot of the things that they've done um, uh, was because people were doing it already. And, you know, they, 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 they wanted to make sure that people weren't in a position where they were actually committing loan fraud. So, you know, over the past year and a half, they've really changed their policy to what we see today. That's made, uh, made it more friendly towards short-term rentals. And it makes sense because with the second home occupancy loan, you have to show the ability to absorb the PITI payment into your ratios without any consideration that this property will be producing income for uh, the buyer, for the borrower. If, if this person can qualify with their income to repay the, the mortgage, and then they're gonna supplement that ability with the short-term rental income, Fannie Mae is in the business for 
uh, of performing loans. So yeah, why not make it friendly towards uh, short-term rentals? So yes, to answer your question, after a year, Fannie does allow allow you to transfer title into the name of an LLC without any recourse that they would execute the due on sale clause. Uh, and so for a short, if you have a second home loan product, then you have to wait a year before you can transfer it into an, uh, into an LLC. What about with a conventional mortgage, Jeff? If someone has a four unit that they used a conventional mortgage to purchase, um, can they transfer it into an LLC right after closing? And what happens with the due on sale clause? Um, what, what criteria do they need to make sure they meet so that that's not triggered? On an investment property, uh, it's different. On the second home occupancy loan, it's, it is one year. It states that in the, in the uh, second home occupancy rider. Uh, investment property loans, yeah, uh, investors will transfer that title uh, right after closing. As long as the, the name, uh, does the ownership have to remain the same in terms of who got the loan versus who owns the LLC? Is there anything over there that could trigger the due on sale clause? Uh, you have to be equal or majority owner in the LLC. So the borrower has to be equal or majority owner in the LLC. Okay. So uh, yeah, 50 or 51%. Okay, perfect. Um, we have another question from Anna, Jeff, and she says, what is the, I think her question is, what is the minimum down payment you need to put in for a DSCR or a asset-based loan product? Uh, for an experienced investor, it's 20%. Uh, for someone who uh, does not have any history of owning real estate other than their primary residence, it's 25%. Okay. And then we also have been able to use the, the Fannie conventional product with 15% down for short-term rentals uh, because the rental costs are so strong. So that that's an opportunity as well for a full doc loan uh, with a lesser down payment with a lesser down payment, and then that has no pre-penalty, uh, no prepayment penalty period as opposed to the DSCR. Now, uh, what about the portfolio and the bank statement loans, which are also not based on your income? What is the typical down payment required for those loan products, Jeff? Those loans, we have second home occupancy uh, loans that we can do through that product or through the, the portfolio. And we can do as little as 10% down up to 3 million on those. Okay, and so if someone isn't able to qualify based on their income, or if they've already hit their um, debt to income ratios, then they could look at those portfolio loan products and still do a lower, um, a significantly lower down payment. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's, you know, back to uh, the advantage of having one application for all products. Uh, we start with the Fanny box, and then we kind of move our way through each of the boxes when we're doing our, our pre-approval review. So do people get a little bit frustrated that they can't get same day feedback on their pre-approval? Sure, and that's, you know, back to my point earlier, a lot of brainwashing out there that you can just push a button and get mortgage. But if you want someone to do a thorough evaluation, uh, which I'm sure people would appreciate that uh, we're going to the extent of making sure that we get everything right, but we're also making sure that we uncover uh, and review all of the opportunities that, that there would be with the, the lending. That's, that's great information. Um, Jeff, um, we have a few members in the program who are residents, and so their question is, I mean, this is not, uh, even for those who aren't uh, really residents, recent graduates, do all states use student loans in their uh, debt-to-income uh, ratio calculations, even if they are deferred? Uh, yes, and the, it's going to vary as far as what that calculation is and what it's based off of, but yes, we have to consider student loan debt. Okay. And then I guess the second part of that question is, um, I know you said uh, physician loan products could be used for a second home also, correct? Are there restrictions yes. in terms of that? No. Okay. Um, they're they're going to follow, a lot of our portfolio product, products follow the Fannie policies. So you'll, you'll see a lot of similarities, a few nuances, uh, but for the most part, we're going to follow and be in line with what Fannie says. Got it. 
So with uh, conventional uh, mortgages, Jeff, um, it's 10 mortgages per individual, and that can be, uh, so spouses can have 10 mortgages each that they're on, which gives you a total of 20. Uh, but the question uh, comes up, like, can two spouses get short drawn two separate um, second home loan products in the same market? Or, uh, you know, does, I mean, if they're married, is it only one that they're able to get? Well, uh, so I'll, I'll answer your question with a question. Um, if you're married and you go on vacation, do you stay at separate homes? Interesting point. That that kind of does answer <laughs> the question. Yeah, so I, I think that's a gray area that you would get different answer from different loan officers. To me, uh, it just comes across that you're 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 trying to maybe take advantage of the loan product. And I would never want to advise someone where they potentially could be in trouble. So I, I just stay away from that and just say, you know, hey, go go pick another fun area that you like. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. Um, Jeff, I wanted your opinion on a HELOC versus cash out refinances, because a lot of our members, especially with the current market, are trying to tap into that you know, lazy equity that's sitting in either a primary or an investment property and use it to grow. And the question always is, what, when did they use which product? And I wanted your take on it. Well, that, that answer is a little bit easier than it was two months ago. So, you know, today uh, you're talking about letting go of probably an interest rate that's below 4% at least to trade for an interest rate that is so uh, that that answer has become easier. But I even before I I didn't like the idea of commingling debt. Mm -hmm. um, so I like the idea of a HELOC that you can uh, separate and put the burden of reap. So we leave that first mortgage debt alone. Leave it where it is. Let your W two income, whatever your business income repay that mortgage and then the HELOC uh, the the burden of repayment is on the the acquired property so uh, the other thing that I like about it is so typically that product is going to be an interest only payment so it keeps your liability low mm. and then you know as you um, as you pay that mortgage off as you pay that drawback now you've created this down payment bank that you can use over and over again for, for 10 years. So typically they've got a 10 year draw period where the payment is interest only. And then you have 30 overall years to pay the, the loan back at. But in that first 10 years, if we can be aggressive because you know, if we're buying a million dollar property, we can do 10% down. That's a hundred thousand dollars. You know, it's, right. it's not like we're, going to try to pay a million dollars back in, you know, four or five years mm -hmm. or, or shorter, you know, it's a relatively manageable number. Um, now with that, the other thing that I would add, a number that I give people with a 10% down second home occupancy loan is 20%. So how much cash do I need to have ready to deploy? 10% mm. down payment, three to 5% for closing costs, and then another seven to ten percent to make the property rent ready. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when you're taking out that HELOC, that's a good number to keep in mind. Is you know, if if you're buying a five hundred thousand dollar property, just double that ten percent, make it a hundred thousand, hundred and twenty thousand. It's always good to have extra. But yeah, I love the idea that we can uh, isolate that acquisition debt. Uh, open up a bank account for that short-term rental that we buy. And then everything that we get goes into the bank account. Everything that goes out, goes out of that bank account, including paying back the HELOC. So also love the HELOC because, you know, now it comes becomes a situation where it's not how many cups of coffee can I skip so I can buy, you know, one of these properties, you know, it's leveraging yes. what, what we've, uh, realize through market appreciation and reinvesting that money today versus waiting until we sell the house. 
Yes, absolutely. Right. Especially if we're in that growth phase, then the time value of money is so important. Like you said, and I know you mentioned that uh, North Point does do HELOCs on second homes. So that's always an option if you have an investment property that has increased in value significantly, which has happened for many people in the last few years. Yeah, you can do it on your primary and then you buy that that uh, that vacation home, you you know, do it a couple years later down the road. So uh, yeah, potentially you can uh, duplicate that, that down payment bank. Yeah. And then the best part, like you said, is that when you have the HELOC, if you aren't drawing from it, it doesn't affect your, um, liability. So your DTI doesn't get affected by that as opposed to a, a cash out refi. Um, Jeff, I wanted to, um, finally ask you about the delayed financing, because especially in this market, some of our members are paying all cash for a property. And then they, with the intention of going in and refinancing and pulling out that money later to deploy it, is there, um, so, um, how should they be structuring that so that that can be as seamless as possible? If they know ahead of time that they're going in, they're going to be doing it. Do they contact, um, their lender ahead of time, make sure that, um, something is in place so that they can pull it out before the say seasoning six month period. Yeah, absolutely. It's something that if you're counting on getting that money back out of the deal that you would want to get pre-approved before you get into the deal, because you definitely don't want to you know, lock in and, and close on a $500,000 purchase and then find out afterwards, you don't qualify to, to uh, do a loan to get that money back out. So yeah, the delayed financing you'd want to get pre-approved for, uh, you can, there's no seasoning requirement. Uh, so you could actually be going through that delayed financing process while you're under contract and then shortly after be in a position where it closes. So, you know, that money is not out very long. So on the delayed financing, it's basically on the same line with a cash out refinance where you're limited to 80% loan to value. So you do have to leave 20% in the deal. Mm-hmm. And that's based on the lower of the appraised value or the sales price. Okay. And then you can't exceed what you put into the deal. Now, if you wait six months, then that's where you can get a new appraisal done. Uh, you know, you can exceed that amount that you put into the deal up to 80% loan to value. So, um, yeah, some people want to get their money back as soon as possible. And you can do that with delayed financing through the no seasoning. Or, you know, they want to try to get out as much as they possibly can back out of the deal. Uh, and, and in that scenario, to maximize that opportunity, you'd have to wait six months to take advantage of a higher appraisal. So when you say 80%, um, Jeff, is that for a long-term rental or is, would that apply even to short-term rentals? Yeah, both. Both. Okay. It ha- it's only yep. um, 80%. And um, if they want to pull it out before the six-month period, then they, when they're in contract or after they have their uh, offer accepted, is that when they should be talking to their lender and getting things in place? No, I would do it before then. So I would, I would look at it as a pre-approval. Okay. So yeah, before they even make an offer, they'd want to get pre-approved for the delayed financing, knowing that uh, and, and, you know, you never know, you, you might be in a situation where someone is willing to take a deal from someone that's using financing. Uh, and that's great. We could do it as a purchase deal because you're already approved or, right. um, you know, they're only looking at cash offers. Well, great. I'm ready to do that as well. And I know after it's all said and done, I'll be able to do, do the delayed financing. We can also do that on the DSCR. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, for someone who is self-employed, they're not going to, they're not going to qualify for the full doc loan. Uh, we can do the delayed financing with DSCR as well. Okay. But, but I'm assuming with all of these uh, products where you're refinancing, you have to leave 20% equity in. Yes. On the delayed financing. Yep. Okay. Uh, and even if it were um, cash out refinance after six months? Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah, it would still be required yeah, 20% gonna, equity to be left in. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be a fanny standard based on a, a basically a cash out refinance max loan to value is going to be 80%. Okay, and so even if they were to use a physician loan product for that refinance, it would still have to meet that 20% equity left in the property. 
Yes. Okay. Yep. On a second okay. home. On a second home. That's good to know. Awesome. Um, Jeff, uh, so Dr. Salmia Kumar says she's loved working with your group. You're getting a lot of positive feedback on the Facebook community, but we're, I know we're holding you from that game. We're going to let you go. Before that, if you could tell everyone how they can connect with you and your team, um, um, if they want to reach out to you and get pre-approved. Yeah, absolutely. So the best way to connect with me is to go to my website. So uh, strhomefinancing.com. Sam, Tom, Robert, homefinancing.com. You'll see a short introduction video from me. It'll lead directly into a list of survey questions. So the survey questions are just to find out, you know, it's like going into the doctor's office and finding out all the symptoms before you actually uh, have that meeting. Uh, it just makes the conversation go uh, easier, smoother, more directed. Uh, and then you fill out the survey questions, name, phone number, email. It will automatically go to four videos that talk about loan products, oh, wow. the process, uh, and then my team and what we bring to the table. They're five minutes a piece. It takes 20 minutes. And then at the end, you have two options, one to schedule a consultation call with me, or you can jump right to an application. Once my team sees you've completed the application, we'll schedule an application review call. So um, the consultation call is, you know, once you get to that point and you've provided that information, it's a 20-minute phone call just to talk about um, maybe some specifics to your scenario. Uh, it's not to provide details about what you qualify for or numbers. We'll get that information to you once you fill out the application, uh, and that would be part of the pre-approval process. So, yeah, strhomefinancing.com is a, a great resource and the best way to connect with me. Awesome. I remember when a web page was called 10percentdown.com and I sent everyone to it and then and then I was, I've been sending them to North Point uh, Mortgage, but um, I'll put this in the show notes and make sure it's in, um, for people out to this link going forwards. Well, so 10percentdown.com will take you to that same website. Got it. But, but when I switched over to North Point and I had access to all of these uh, different products, I didn't want people to think that they could get the DSCR loan with 10percentdown.com. So right. uh, I had to go from being the 10percentdown.com guy to the STR home financing. So, but it'll take you to the same place. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, but I'm assuming that um, you have a lot of products that people are looking at long-term rentals can look at also, right? With the portfolio loans, the bank statement, the DSCR, and the conventional mortgages. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, what I tell people is outside of like a hard money fix and flip loan, uh, I've got everything when it comes to up to uh, financing up to four unit properties. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much, Jeff. We're dying to get to your son's game. We're going to let you go. Um, this has been super educational, um, so much valuable information. Thank you for taking the time.